This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to an episode of the Crowncast, and I have news for you all. I have very big, the most important news, the best news, and that is at least someone at Charlotte FC is probably getting fired, and that's because they have decided to announce the news of Christian Latanzio being let go before I hit publish on a podcast. <laughs> We've done it. We have fi- either somebody messed up or or we finally were on the right track. I didn't do a whole episode that I then regretted because the big news came out. And here to not regret our actions with me is Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, guys. And Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Hello. So this is this is a real phenomenon. I don't and it's not just the crown cast. It happens to all podcasts that for some reason the universe knows when we hit publish on an episode and then clubs, whoever decides to, to hit the big bomb news. We got the big bomb news this morning. And weirdly, this isn't kind of the first time we've had a, a day of circumstance. So we, before we get into all the talk of Christian Latanzio, we've got a pretty good story. You and when you first started writing about Charlotte FC, you had uh, an experience with Josh. You want to tell us about this one? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'm not sure if Josh will, uh, remembers this one well. He's um, he's had a lot more personal events happen for him since this than <laughs> I have. I think that's fair to say. Um, but yeah, we were just talking about beforehand. Obviously, the, um, the 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 great timing for once that this has happened. But me and Josh had the absolute opposite incident where, for one of my first pieces writing on the blog. A first piece, so a big picture piece about Miguel Angel Ramirez. We were about twelve <laughs> games in um, to his uh, to his reign as head coach, which is a nice sample size to start talking big picture. What you know, what he wants to do tactically, where the players who are most important to this, and also the direction where it might be going in the future, based off what he did in Independiente. What ended up happening was that we put together this piece. Josh was uh, was was happy. He was like, "Yeah, let me edit it. We'll put it out. Um, we'll put it out tomorrow. All good." And then we get the news that on the day it was intended to be published, a big picture piece <laughs> on Miguel Angel Ramirez and what could happen going forward with him as head coach. That was the day when he was uh, let go as, as as head coach of the team. And I actually found it out from from Josh messaging me. <laughs> and I was like, it was I, a I, great I, piece. <laughs> yeah, he said, great piece, but have you checked Twitter? And, <laughs> that guy is no longer a part of Charlotte FC. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, we we ended up putting it out, and we put it out in almost like a. Josh put a paragraph at the start of it, which was almost like um, it was like a, a post mortem release, where it was like, hopefully this, uh, hopefully this can be enjoyed in the the spirit in which it was intended, and because uh, you know a lot of work's got into it, and uh, people seem to like it in general when it went out. But uh, yeah, a lot of the uh, a lot of the looking forward stuff in there was uh, was not entirely relevant to anyone. But uh, luckily, we're on the right side of it this time. So we have an interesting phenomenon going on here, where normally after the season ends. We do a big season wrap-up episode. We talk about who our favorite players were, who we think gets like the crown for the season, all that stuff. We haven't been able to do that yet because we keep getting news bombs dropped on us. Like we're going at this rate, we're going to be doing our season like big wrap-up episode 
on like January 21st or something ridiculous. <laughs> the Christmas special. But the Christmas special. <laughs> yes. The Christmas special season ender. No, honestly, like I said, I'm way, way happier to have gotten the news in time to prep for it than to have just had to throw ourselves into it. But I will stick with you just for a little bit, Ewan, because in case you didn't know, Christian Latanzio is no longer the manager of Charlotte FC. Did you know that? No, I'm hearing this in Josh message fashion. You, you're breaking, oh, me, well, you're then, breaking this to me right now. In, uh, in, in you're, the about, you're about 10 hours late, <laughs> but, um, but Chris Latanzio is no longer the manager of Charlotte FC. And there have been some sort of, you know, tossed up fan reactions to this. What have you seen the fan reaction look like? The fan reaction to this is overwhelmingly positive over the decision. And I'm not boots on the ground in, uh, in Charlotte. I, I don't get the fan mood from that perspective. But you can tell from on, you know, being on Twitter and just kind of being around general social media involved with Charlotte that, that this probably would have been a popular decision. But I was a little bit surprised at how positive it was. Uh, I thought that it would be a little bit more evenly balanced because, you know, and this is playing the outcomes, but I thought maybe making the playoffs would have softened people on this, uh, on Latanzio a little bit. They would have felt like the season overall was kind of a success. Um, but it, that doesn't, really seem to be the case at all. It, it seems like this has got an overwhelmingly positive reaction, which, again, I'm I'm not over there. I don't get that kind of day-to-day um, feel for uh, how how people feel about the team. But it, it, it kind of surprised me, but I, I don't think it surprised you two. So, uh, Josh, tell me, do you think that what happened was Charlotte FC listened to our last episode and... <laughs> they heard our reactions to the season, how we su- summarized the season, and they said, yep, they're right. That was not a successful season. Latanzio's got to go. Um, well, if they had listened to that, then they listened to you and not me, because I kind of, kind of considered this season to be I'm, a little successful. I'm glad you said it, because I didn't want to <laughs> hype myself up too much, but I appreciate your <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, again, I... I am a little shocked. I'm not shocked at the the fan reaction because I do think I'm definitely in the minority of fans who looked who look at this season, this past season as a as a success. And I think that the frustration level for for better or worse with Christian Latanzio had just reached a point with fans where it would have really required him to have made a deep, deep playoff run, I think. And for for Charlotte to have been playing really good football at the same time, not just, mm-hmm. you know, lucking into wins or something, but like sort of doing what we haven't seen them do, which is which is dominate for for that feeling to change, unfortunately. So surprising move that he was let go. Not surprised by the fan reaction, though. I do agree. It would have had to have been convincing and it was not. Uh, one of the things that I want to talk about just really quickly is I want to touch on Latanzio's sort of rise to power because I think that that makes him sound like a dictator. I should probably come up with a better way to say that. But <laughs> I, I think that it has to frame how we talk about Christian Latanzio and we'll get to our final thoughts about him later. Uh, this is a guy who spent a significant amount of time as an assistant, as a technical coach, uh, as a player developer. This is somebody with a huge amount of resource and connections and knowledge at his disposal. And I think that him coming in as a stand-in coach, not as the official coach, most of us kind of said when the season was over, 
we don't think Christian Latanzio is the guy. Almost everybody's opinion was Latanzio did pretty well, but it's clear he's a first-time manager. He didn't really seem to have control over everything. He's probably not going to be the guy that, get the jo- that got the job. Now, Charlotte FC did it correctly last year, and they waited until like eight minutes after I hit publish on that episode where we said that <laughs> to then announce Christian Latanzio as the, the long-term replacement. Long-term being in air quotes, because obviously... He then has, as a first-time job as a a manager, one year to go out and impress, but he didn't necessarily have the wind-up because he didn't know that job was going to be his. So one of the things I want to ask you, Josh, is do you feel like he got the full year to go out and impress, or do you feel like the way he came into power, again, I have to find a better way to say that, the way he came into the position Mm-hmm. ultimately hamstrung him even though it feels like to us he had a year and a half to figure stuff out i think it might have been to you again to use sort of air quotes fairer to give him one more year but at the same time i kind of lean on this he came in pretty early into last year i mean what was it 12 games uh and we had played so i mean he's still like getting that, yeah. 20-ish games last year and getting those games I think in a for a long time in a sort of benefit of the doubt role like we can talk how the frustrations of Christian Latanzio but I think it's so somewhat easy to forget also like everything that happened with Mar as well so I think I think I kind of considered that his wind up I think this year was in hindsight a, a prove it year for him and, and obviously he didn't do enough for the powers that be to to think he was going to continue to to get us where he needed to go. Again, I think a fair thing would be one more year, but I also understand why that there might have been hesitance around that because of the fan perception of him and because, as you said last pod, Logan, we've really only improved by one goal scored, one point. I, I kind of get it. I think it's a little harsh on him, but not the worst thing in the world to have happened. So it's a harsh, harsh world out there, and we are essentially going to lay down our final thoughts on Christian Latanzio, so get ready for it, boys. There's a lot (laughs) of stuff we could touch on, so I'd like you guys to give me a rating out of 10 for how you feel Christian Latanzio handled his time at Charlotte FC. And to the listeners, if these gentlemen need a few seconds to figure out their rating, that's because I'm hitting hitting them with this right now. And then I'd like you to give a little bit of justification and thoughts on why you feel this way, etc. So I am going to start with Ewan. Ewan, what is your rating on the reign of Christian Latanzio, the dictator, this, the Italian dictator? <laughs> and why do you justify it that way? Um, out of 10, I would probably say a five, which I would caption that as five being... Maybe a little bit below average, uh, but overall competency, I think, is a fair way of of categorizing that. To justify that, I would say I think that the team, whether you agreed with it, whether you didn't, always played with a clear conviction of what they are doing. Whenever you have a manager who's kind of on the brink, and you and one of the the questions you often ask when a manager is on the brink and, and they're in threat of losing their job is. What's the identity of this team? We don't know what they want to do. We don't know what the play style is. 
there was never major questions with Latanzio as to what style he was trying to put out there, even though it did change from 10-game sample to 10-game sample to 5-game sample. It was always very clear what he was trying to do. And that's not easy. He has to have a certain level of quality as a communicator and a coach to be able to get that across. So he gets plus points for that. The negative points that bring that grade uh, and that rating down then come in with how that was actually applied, uh, with with um, whether that was actually the right way to go about coaching the team, whether those were the right tactics, which for the most part I, I disagreed with them being. And then I think you bring it down a little bit further when you get to the in-game stuff. I, I think if you were to put one thing in particular down that really defines why he wasn't a success, I think the in-game adjustments were where he struggled. The fact that a career assistant coach who is a Monday to Friday analyst, a Monday to, uh, a Monday to Friday developer of young talent, if you were to say that that person was to go into a managerial role for the first time after doing that for that career, what are the things they may struggle with? In-game adjustments would would be the first thing that would pop into your head of, okay, that might be a struggle. And I think yep. that is exactly how it played out. I think that he was someone who could come up with decent game plans for the opening moments of games. I think a lot of players did. You, you could see some improvements in their individual games during Latanzio's reign, but it was the in-game stuff that he really struggled with. It's not a coincidence that so many leads were blown under his um, uh, under his reign as coach. It, it goes back to the fact of what is he good at? He's a good communicator. He's a good player developer. He's good at and and I'll kind of coin this phrase because I think it's I, I think it puts across him in a positive light, but also it, put, it underlines why he struggled a little bit. He's a Monday to Friday coach, and that's what he's been for his career. So then, when the games come, the in-game adjustments just weren't there, and that's why I actually hope that he goes somewhere else and continues to be a head coach because he will have learned so much in these sixty-three games that he was the Charlotte FC coach for in terms of in-game stuff. That hopefully he has a break. He studies that, does some self-analysis, and then if he can put that the qualities that he has already as a, as a coach that he's had for his career so far and adds that element to it, he could be a successful coach at a decent level because we've seen a coherent style put across by him with his Charlotte FC team. Going back to your question, 5 out of 10 for me and the in-game adjustments of the in-game situational stuff is a real thing that's kind of bumping that rating down and ultimately I think is why I agree with the decision that, that we had to move on from him. So I see where I've made my mistake here. And that is, I have put forward a very complex question and I've accidentally given it to Ewan first. And yes, Ewan, yeah. doing what he's done, <laughs> has just answered it. He's just, he's just, he's just answered it. I, I expected there to be a little bit of meat left on that bone, but maybe maybe we can still find some. Josh, uh, thoughts on Christian Latanzio's reign, his rating? What do you think? Um, I... I'm going to be a little bit higher. I'm probably going to say a six out of 10, although I'm going to say, I think that that is buoyed by, I think I give him a little bit more credit for his first year. I think it's a really hard job that he was thrown into mid season, no experience with a roster that was created as we've talked about ad nauseum sort of haphazardly, especially last year. Um, and, and I think for me, that's sort of the the big thing as well is when we talk about, the roster of Charlotte FC and then the coach of, of Christian Latanzio, 
And it's impossible to know, I think, where that divide is because you would have to know how this roster is built, who had the say, you know, the final say, was it Latanzio, was it the front office, all of that stuff. So not to rehash all of that, but I think I give him a little bit more credit because I know a lot of fans will think that he is what held us back from making a deeper run or being a better team. When I look at this roster, I still see severe lack of talent. And so I think even if you want to argue that he held this team back, I think it's a very small thing that he held them back. I think you're talking about seventh versus ninth place, not second versus ninth place. And so I don't again, I think we're still a very new club. And I think you have to give him a little bit of credit for navigating that as he's also navigating learning a job. To me, it sort of feels like he's a he's a guy who was hired at a startup to do one role and then thrust into a leadership position. So everyone's figuring it out and no one's there necessarily to guide him. At the end of the day, though, I want I want to see more results quicker with this club. And I think in order to do that, we just can't wait around for him to learn the position. But I do agree with you. And I, I hope that he goes somewhere else. And I hope that he can mesh his development with the actual management. And I hope that he can be a success because by all accounts, you know, from afar, he seems like a really good, nice guy. Um, and, I, and I think we have to remember at the end of the day, like that counts too. <laughs> so yep. I, I personally really do wish him nothing but the best. And I hope he lands on his feet quickly. Yeah. I think that that leaves it up to me. And I have, while you guys have been talking, convinced myself of a four of 10, a five of 10 and a six of 10. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to go with my final thoughts and I think I'm going to give him a six out of 10. And I will explain my reasoning by saying there's a lot of things about Christian Latanzio I don't like. But there is one thing about him I really like, and that is I feel like any leader of anything must have the ability to set down the stakes and say, this is the way we go. Mm. I am charting this course, and we will take this course, whether it leads us to doom or victory. And Christian Latanzio came in, and he wanted to play his ball. He wanted to, to set the standards his way, and he came in and he did that. Now, did he do it well? A lot of questions, right? You talked about this, Josh, and, and Ewan, about are the decisions he made the right ones? Probably no. I think we've had a lot of tactical talk on this podcast. Uh, there's been a lot of talk amongst fans, etc., where we can see really obvious options to help plug some of the holes in this team. And Christian Latanzio may have been too unwilling to bend in order to stick to his principles and philosophy. But you know who else was unwilling to bend and stick to their principles and philosophy? There's a little guy named Pep Guardiola who was famous for it, right? Uh, a lot of the best managers in the world came in with a principle and a philosophy, and they said, this is what we're doing, and if you're not on this boat, get off. And so I have respect for people who are able and willing to do that. And... I do think you're shooting a moving target with that sort of mentality. You know, if you're not right, it looks really bad. But it's added with the pressure of this being the first job for Christian Latanzio. Very few people go into their first management position and handle everything perfect the first time. I think he's going to take a lot of this away and go out and become a better manager for it. Really, my big negative on Christian Latanzio is I haven't heard anybody talk well about his ability with the players. 
I've heard a lot of people talk about how technically gifted he is. I've heard a lot of people talk about how well he understands the game. I've heard a lot of people talk about how he has this drive and this vision. I haven't heard a lot of the players go, I love Christian Latanzio. Mm-hmm. Right? And there is a there's a put down on some managers that they're just arm around the shoulder guys. But you need an arm around the shoulder guy. You need somebody who can connect with the players in a way that makes them want to go play for you. And I think this is just from my personal vision. I don't have any like I don't have all the players walking in a line telling me they all hated Christian Latanzio. I don't see that love for Christian Latanzio from the players themselves. I don't think anybody like despised him, but I don't see love. And so I think I would have liked to see a little bit more arm around the shoulder, how to be a, a manager that works with his team, not just blindly pushes. Uh, you and any, any final thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I generally just feel like as someone who, as an assistant coach, who, who has been an assistant coach for so long as well, it has to be emphasized just his association with Patrick Vieira, his work in multiple academies. For this to have been his first opportunity as a head coach and to put across his the way he wants to play and, and adjust that so much, again, whether you think it was right, whether you think it was wrong, I think that there are serious communication skills there which will serve him well in whatever he wants to do going forward and i generally just wish him pretty well because he he guided the team through some stormy waters he was here as head coach for 18 months and a lot happened in those 18 months off the pitch which were very difficult and he managed to put together a team that whether you think the ceiling was higher than what he did he was able to produce a lot of fun and give a lot of good moments. And I just think that, again, I agree with the fact that we should have moved on from him, but I, I think it should be with well wishes yeah, rather mm-hmm. than uh, uh, some of the stuff which I've seen today, which is, you know, not, not ideal when someone loses a job. Moves I, I think, I, yeah, I think yeah. this, I think yeah. this should be something where hopefully the dust settles and people have got what they wanted and we can wish him well going forward. Yeah. We can we can split amicably. So I'm going to go over to Josh because Josh, I'm, I, I, well, first and foremost, I think we came up with something like a 5.66 out of 10 rating. Is <laughs> yeah. that mathematically correct? 6.6 six repeating. That's, but who can say? Yeah, <laughs> math is hard. Um, there are people out there called mathematicians. We leave that stuff to them. So uh, Christian Latanzio had a tough job and there were definitely winds of change coming into the team, one of which is all the news that has come out about Carol Schroederski. Mm-hmm. And I just have to ask you this. How? Carol Schroederski, how? Expand. What is happening with him? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that we've actually seen any reporting, like direct reporting um, in any English publications but there is a um i think a translation from a polish interview that his agent did or or maybe that he did but basically it seems pretty clear that carol is is looking to move back to europe in january he he's come out and wanting to go to italy or or a league like that um i think the report also said he's hoping that the club are not going to ask for too much money because he doesn't know if the clubs who are interested in him can afford it 
while I respect Carol's wish to go back, I'm going to disagree. This club needs to get every penny that they can for that man, because mm-hmm. he is our best asset. And at the end of the day, from a pure Charlotte business perspective, we have to leverage that asset. But, you know, from a fan perspective, this is a bit disheartening because I, I think maybe there will be some disagreement. I think it's pretty clear that Carol Schwederski was our best player this year, is our best player, is our most talented player. I, I don't know that he's always consistent, but him coming out and, and saying that he wants to move, that is big for him and big for the club. I don't wish him any ill will. I hope the club can get the money that they deem appropriate for him. I hope he can get a move that excites him, but it will be a big hole to fill next year. Yeah, I would describe this as Carol swinging the big stick. Um, (laughs) I don't know how players in this day and age still think that if they do an interview in their their home country or in their home language, it's not going to get back to the league that they play in. Oh, I think he does. Yeah, well, that's the thing is like, I have to assume that this was a probably pre-discussed strategy between him and his agency to to get him out of this club. And we talked previously about the fact that when we were talking about Carol before, we said there's enough smoke that there's probably fire here. There's no question there's a fire here. There's a forest fire. It's on fire. Everything is on fire. Carol wants out of Charlotte FC. Now, one of the things that I think you struggle with in this situation is whenever you leverage social media power against your employer, it never ends well. If you if you want an example of this, go look up a gentleman by the name of Mezit Ozil, who was beloved by many, 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 many millions of people in the world of football, and watch his career tank after he started using his social media power against the clubs he was playing for. Never goes well. It now puts Charlotte in this position where if we if Carroll does come back next year, he's not only not he's only not only devalued to the club, but he's devalued to the fans. Right? It's one thing to go out and say, I back myself. I think I can play in any league in the world. And if one of the top leagues wants to to take a chance on me, I'm ready to go try. It's another thing to come out and say, take me anywhere but Charlotte FC. <laughs> so, Ewan, what are your thoughts on this? How do you read into it? I think to start with, it's starting to just seem more and more likely that he will leave. I, I think that is that is something which people need to prepare for for the upcoming season, that, that he likely won't be here for that it's heading to a place where it does seem likely that he'll leave and where you go from that is is understanding evaluation obviously Svidersky has said himself that he would like that to be lower than what he's worth we have to establish what he's worth and in my opinion I think we're talking about a 10 million euro player I, I think that's an absolutely fair and, and I say stance for Charlotte to take in the negotiating world, I assume that that will actually mean that they ask for probably 12 or 13 and then they get that price up and then they, they internally understand that 10 million euros is what they would accept. I think that's absolutely a fair a fair valuation for him as a player. For him as a player, for him at his age, he'll be, uh, if he does leave in January for the European window, it'll be just as he's turning 27. So it'll be right as he's entering his theoretical peak years as a footballer. 
So that that for me at this stage is the main thing that I'm focused on with this because it does seem like we have a very determined player to leave. It's about getting the right price now. That has to be established. And I think 10 million euros is absolutely a fair price. So I will I will jump this off to Josh. Josh, if if I don't know, some club in Portugal said 10 million euros, Carol Carol Schroderski on your on your desk, what are you saying? So I, I'm taking that. I I'm I think as you and said, that's a fair evaluation. I think that the reason he as in Carol Swiderski, is publicly lobbying for that price to be lower is because if you follow transfers in, in Europe, outside of England, there's not a ton of money. And if you go into the other leagues, outside of the biggest clubs in those leagues, there's not a ton of money. And even some of the bigger clubs in those leagues don't have a ton of money. And so I think the level that Carol... I think he's realistic. I think Carroll knows he's not going to PSG or to Man United or anything like that. So the clubs and the leagues he's lobbying for, I think he's also aware of what they can afford. And I think that that is part of this issue. 10 million, done and sold. I'm actually, I think, a little bit maybe more pessimistic. I I think we're going to end up getting less for him because I don't I don't see a world once he says this that he comes back to Charlotte FC. And so I think at the end of the day, we are going to sell him. Um, My, you know, prediction, not that you asked for it, but Ewan gave his, so I'm going to give mine. My prediction is we end up around more like 7.58 million. And I think that will frustrate a lot of fans. But I also think we should remember that that's a lot of money for MLS. I I don't remember exactly what we bought Schwederski for, but I think that would be close to like tripling his his purchase price, which is a good bit of business for for us. I also don't know off the top of my head what we bought Carol for, but I am also slightly more pessimistic on this particular deal. I think once once a player makes that statement, once they come out and they say, hey, I'm leaving, or I want to leave, I, I have no more interest in playing for Charlotte FC, and I am asking Charlotte FC to s- stop asking so much money for me so I can go pursue my career. You're basically cutting ties. I mean, you're burning bridges, right? Yeah. Think about if you did that in your working world, you better have another job lined up because <laughs> you're burning bridges at, at the job you currently have. It also devalues the player. Anyone looking at Carol Schroderski is now going, hey, Carol, we want you here but we're going to pay $5 million. Go to town on your club, buddy. We don't even have to work them. You go to town on your club, force them to accept it. Because if you want to come play for us, that's the price. And Carol now has publicly admitted what side of this he stands on. I just don't think it's a good look. I don't think it's a good outcome for Charlotte FC. And I'll be honest, I think if we get that $7, 8000000 million mark, I think it will have been a pretty decent piece of business for all i know we're gonna sell him for 24 million british pounds and he's gonna end up playing in chelsea because todd Bowley will spend money on literally anything with legs he's too old for chelsea he's too old for chelsea (laughs) well that makes it that make that particular phrasing makes it sound very weird but that was the point that was the point (laughs) todd Bowley, well known to use his money cannon on children so now that we have 
just absolutely blasted that out into the world. You See, and final... that makes the thought. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you and final thoughts on uh, the Carol Swiderski situation. Yeah, it's um... again. I, I understand the pessimism um, in terms of getting the the ten million fee that would obviously would would make a lot of people happy to to see that versus seven slash eight million coming in um but outside of that obviously we know the news today with Latanzio leaving and the new head coach will be coming in Svidersky was always a difficult player to fit into certain tactical setups he's uh he's he's a bit of a luxury player for as good as and, and obviously I love him I think he's a great player I've I've always kind of had his corner but he 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 can be a bit of a luxury player at times for as hard as he works because in possession there's maybe certain functions that he he doesn't do that that make your setup make a lot of sense so in a big picture way you could be looking at this as as a new head coach coming in when they have the interviews for the new head coach the board is very honest about the fact that we don't know if we're going to get 7 8 9 10 but he's probably leaving we're almost at the point now where we're very blank slate as a club. And whether that's something that gets you excited, whether that's something that gets you a little bit nervous, I don't know. But it seems like that's maybe where we are at the moment, even though that a lot of higher up people are still in place and, and they'll carry on uh, maybe executing the recruitment in the way that they always have. There's certainly an on-field perspective that feels like we'll be talking about this team in February and gearing up for the new season with not a whole lot of idea of how we'll be setting up, depending on how available the preseason games are, which we know from last preseason, not very. So yeah, not yeah, not very. Feels very very blank slate in terms of a tactical on field perspective potentially. If uh, if like we all suspect, Svidersky does leave in January. So when it comes to uh, keeping on, keeping on, I do want to highlight a young man by the name of João Pedro who plays for Charlotte Legacy, plays for the Crown Legacy, and uh, who recently was given the honor of being named in the MLS Next Best 11. So congratulations to him. And he is one of those people who a lot of uh, the fans and the followers of the Crown Legacy said, this is probably a guy who's good enough to move up, probably a guy who's good enough to see the MLS level and see if he can compete there. And he's playing in a position where not to be rude to, you know, the starting center backs at Charlotte FC. These aren't 28-year-old masterclass center backs. 21-year-old Adigilson Melanda and 23-year-old Andrew Privet still have a lot to prove. He might be looking at that situation and going, hey, I can knock on that door and I can potentially kick it down. But there's a lot of other guys coming from a very good team in Crown Legacy who could be looking at a, a chance to see how they fit in the MLS. So Josh, from your perspective, who would you like to see from that Crown Legacy team get a chance to knock on the door? So for me, it's it's Nikola Petkovic. Um, he's the one that I, I'm super intrigued with. And, and I'll be the first to admit, I didn't see as many Legacy games as I wanted to. So this is this is more of a, a stat looking uh, and taking into account, you know, what his transfer fee was before. But it's also... For me, it's what he his inclusion could allow to happen on the MLS club. And specifically, that is freeing up uh, Westwood from that pure six defensive midfielder role. Petkovic, 
you know, if we can have him be that base and then have Westwood be, I think, in what is his more natural eight, if you want to, you know, make it that that sort of simplistic, but someone who who can stroll around a little bit more, find the spaces and then open up the play. That is something that I'm really looking forward to. When you look at his stats, I believe he had like three goals and four assists at the legacy level. So he's also a guy from midfield who can contribute in a way that Derek Jones wasn't consistently able to. And so when I think about next year and I think about what that midfield could look like, especially factoring in the the potential or likely departure of Karol Schwederski, I look at bringing an offensive-minded midfielder to pair with a guy like Westwood and then Breck Diagata to really give you something that is that is potent in there. Granted, we don't know what the manager is. We don't know what that midfield setup will actually look like. I think if you can look at it, I've talked. We've talked a long time about a double pivot, but having a young guy in a double pivot could also be kind of nice, you know, mm-hmm. if he gets it. But but he's a guy who I'm really excited to see hopefully step up, and I think that there's a clear path for him to do that. I would say that's a great shout out, you and. Who would you like to see from that legacy team potentially get a chance to prove themselves? Uh, firstly, I, I would second that majorly um, mm-hmm. with Petkovic. I, I think, um, you know, when you we touch on, it's been touched on before, when you sign someone for that amount of money, it's not, uh, you know, you're not just taking a chance on a young kid. You, you're putting together a real plan for someone to have impact for Charlotte FC versus just, you know, we'll see how they get on. It was, I think it was $3 million that was paid for him. So hopefully his development plan, and I know it was impacted by injury, was to spend a year with this team and then really start kicking on this year for Charlotte FC. But um, yeah, I, I think it's someone who a lot of people have um, have have high hopes for in, in Brandon Cambridge, just because I think, and we have a lot of wingers at the club, a lot of wingers <laughs> who perform a lot of different functions, but I think Brandon Cambridge adds something. And this is hard to talk about because we are head coachless. So we can't directly attribute this to something which our head coach likes. But I Mm -hmm. do think that ambipedality is always going to serve you well. Two-footedness is always going to serve you well as a winger, regardless of who in particular is in charge, because that, adds tactical flexibility whether you want to be playing internally and playing centrally in the final third or whether you want to be playing at the byline he can perform both of those roles and fulfill that on that right side his favored right side because I think that's his best attribute I think it's his two-footedness I think he's as confident taking on a player on his left side as he is as going on his right side I think he's as com- he's as competent cutting inside and shooting on that left as he is as getting to the byline and crossing from his right that is something depending on the head coach which comes in could be very effective because mm-hmm. the byline as i've talked about last season was something which we did not take advantage of enough we were able to get settled with possession but we weren't actually able to penetrate very well and brandon yeah. cambridge is someone who with his two-footedness and with his quickness on the ball which i know you two discussed last week the combination of that will be able to be very effective so Brandon Cambridge for me, not only because he has general intrigue because of what he did in uh, in his two-goal cameo last season, but I think he performs a particular skill and thrives in something which we do not have a lot of. Yeah, for me, Brandon Cambridge is one you don't have to twist my arm over. Get that guy in. Well, I like Brandon Cambridge. I know I've said it on the pod before. 
he has already kind of gotten a look at the MLS and he's already succeeded to a point, whether or not he can transition that to long-term success is something he's going to have to find out on his own. And and we're all going to get to watch. I should take my pick here. And I should say Chaturo Adunze, the goalkeeper who is roughly nine feet tall and (laughs) would be the best goalkeeper in the league, regardless of his skill, because he could just reach out and cover the entire goal. I'm not gonna specifically because I think he's going to get talked about enough on his own. And I'm going to pick somebody who I really like the look of and I think is underrated. I'm going to pick Yuri Tavares. I personally think, and I know a couple people who I have a lot of trust in, have come to me and said, this guy is good. This guy is capable of taking the step up, and technically his floor is higher than some of the other players that we might see in that similar position. Because of where we are in this particular bit of our world, we have to talk about Patrick Agumong, who I think has some really deadly mentality. I think he knows how to go out and get goals, but I haven't seen a super high technical level out of Patrick Agumong. And if we could see a similar level of attacking prowess, of goal threat from Yuri Tavares in the MLS, as we are currently getting from Patrick Agumong with a higher technical floor, with somebody who you just know is going to be more comfortable no matter where they are on the pitch, I would love to see that guy get a chance, right? I'm not saying Tavares is going to come out and be better than Patrick Aguimong. I'm not saying he should be a starter for Charlotte FC. I'm not even saying he should make it past the preseason. But I would love to see somebody rated that highly by people I trust go and get to look Patrick Aguimong in the eyes and go, I'm having you, buddy. This is you and me. Let's see who gets the Charlotte FC shirt. And... I think that would be fun to watch. Do you feel like there's anybody, Josh, that we have missed on this one, or should we begin to wrap it up? I think there's a number of intriguing names. I, I do know, also know that the club, uh, it was either today or, or yesterday, announced that um, David Poreba is no longer with the club, and I know that that upset some some people. There there were a lot of fans of his out there. What I will say is this is, this is sort of a dark horse, and I think injuries and then attitude issues were part of this, but Hamidi Diop is another intriguing name. He mm-hmm. he was a guy who Charlotte wanted. We traded up for him, and and you know he really didn't get a lot of play with us, or I don't even think with with Legacy very very much. I, I he got into some games, but he's a guy who has a lot of talent, and I think has that talent in position, specifically left back and and potentially center back that we are thin in. And so yep. he's another guy who I'll be keeping my eye out, though I don't know that he's as close to breaking in as some of these others. So let's save Hamidi Diop and maybe some of the other ones for stuff we can do in the next episode. We will go ahead and start to wrap it up there. Uh, I'd like to, as ever, say thank you to you listeners. We're in the off season now, so if you're still with us, you're the real ones. And I will say thank you to Ewan. Thank you, Ewan. Always, always a pleasure. Thank you. And Josh. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, thanks, guys. That's it. We're done, baby. We will wrap it all up. And assuming that we do not have Charlotte FC drop another info bomb next Wednesday morning, we will be trying to do a full season wrap up where we give you our our crowns for the years and our cards for the year and all, all, all that good stuff. So thank you all again. And we will talk to you next Wednesday. Goodbye. 
queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Queen City Podcast Network.